getting our house in order before we pass from this life to the next. That's coming up today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. You can probably think of someone that was very diligent to get things in order before they passed away. They had their living trust or will all in place. Their finances were in order and they were in a right relationship with God too. And then there are those that put all of that off and enter into eternity totally unprepared. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll see the importance of getting our house in order as we really never know when that day will come when God calls us home. We need to be ready. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to help us get there as we turn to 2 Kings 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. Last time we were together, we only, we only studied the first few verses of 2 Kings 20 in the life of Hezekiah as he comes to the final moments, or at least what he perceives of the final moments of his life. In our last study, we stopped and really looked at what the Bible has to say about death and how death is an enemy, but through the finished work of Jesus Christ, he has overcome sin and death in our lives. And so we can have confidence that our last breath on earth will lead in whatever millisecond of instantaneous presence being in the presence of God to our next breath in heaven. And so now we come to the life of Hezekiah here in chapter 20, and it says in verse 1, in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So over about a hundred-year period in the history of Judah, Hezekiah the king was really the only faithful, one of the most faithful kings that they had. And what a difference that he made. It's because of Hezekiah's faith and relationship to God and his willingness to obey his life of dependence and obedience, God used him to eliminate idolatry and to clean up the idolatry and bring back true worship. And as a result, God chose to deliver Judah from Assyria because God will bless us through godly leaders. Uh, it's, it's one of those motivators, you know, our, our prime, primary motivator in serving God is to please God and to bring Him glory and honor. And what moves us on a practical level is His love for us and our love for Him. But listen, we also have another motive, and that is through good godly leadership, good and great things can come to people's lives. Like God will really use a human being that is leading well, to bring great change into people's lives. And that's what's happening here with Hezekiah. No, he wasn't a perfect king. And even in the final days of his life, he's not a perfect king. But God doesn't use perfect people because there are no perfect people. So God only uses imperfect people like you and me. The Bible would even go even farther than that, doesn't it? 
And Paul would write, Paul the Apostle would write to the church in the city of Corinth, and he would say, and I'll paraphrase, this is the Ed Taylor paraphrase, look at you guys, and look who God has chosen, the foolish things of the world. Why? To confound the wise. So, so that not many of us come from some great background and not many of us come from some great godly heritage and not many of us come from this solid, perfect family. Not, not many, some, but not many. But yet God still, no matter our defects, no matter what we bring to the table, it doesn't matter to God. He's going to choose the foolish things of the world so when people see that God uses us, it will inspire them. They go, you know what, man? If God can use that guy then there's hope for me because I look at my own life and I look at my background and I look where I've came from and it gives us hope because God only uses imperfect people. Hezekiah was imperfect and yet God used him greatly. And I know at times, not only do you see your imperfections and maybe even magnify them, but I know at times you might feel like you're all alone, standing for what is right and what is good. And what is upright and righteous. I know you might feel like the odd one out. Where it seems that everyone around you, your family, your friends, everyone at work, people you're connected to, maybe even believers, maybe folks you even go to church with, seem to make you feel odd because of your godly choices and your unwillingness to compromise. And it's an unfortunate feeling. But you're not alone. God is with you. He is for you. And as you choose God, he chooses you. Even Elijah was there. He was in that place of feeling alone. I mean, when you think of a man like Elijah, we studied not too long ago, I mean, this brother was used in a huge way. Great victory. And yet, with just a few words, he runs away. And through the challenge, his heart was revealed. And in 1 Kings 19, remember, Elijah said, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And he's running away afraid and scared. He, he is expressing emotions like what he was doing wasn't worth it. That what he was doing got him in trouble. And, you know, God, why am I doing this anyway? Everybody's turned against me. I haven't found another believer. Nobody cares. And I feel alone. But remember, you Bible students, you remember God's response. God told him in verse 18, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. There are a lot of people following God like you are, even if you feel alone. There are a lot of people choosing in the secret parts of their hearts to follow God with an uncompromising way. And you're not alone, even though you may feel that way. You know, as you survey human history and the followers of God, you'll notice that God has never been without a human witness on the earth. Never. There has never been a time when there wasn't someone on the earth or a small group on the earth. We often refer to that. You might hear this word being used. It's referred to in the Bible as a remnant, a very small group. That while all of the world's going to, in chaos and everyone's turning their back on God, and, and even in seasons of history, there'll be those that are so bold to write a book or write a blog or have some television show and boldly proclaim, not, to all, not only to us, but in God's face, there is no God. God, make sure you know there is no God. Which atheism doesn't make much sense, does it? I don't believe in a God that exists, that doesn't exist, because he has to exist in order for me not to believe in him. It doesn't make any sense. 
And so there's always a generation, and it seems like you're outnumbered. As you survey your own life, it feels like you're outnumbered, and you feel like you're alone. But the truth is, is there's a lot more people following God than you even realize. They're reserved, God said, and they are strong. And so what does he say? He doesn't say to Elijah, go find them, go connect with them, Go, go be with them so you can be encouraged and you can feel like you're a part of something larger than yourself, Elijah. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Elijah, get back to work. Elijah, step forward. Again, Ed Taylor paraphrase, you will not find that in the Bible. That is the emphasis of the scriptures. Elijah, do what you've been called to do. That's where your strength will be. God has and always will have those that are dedicated to him. And even if I don't see them, although I do, and even if I don't feel like it, and I don't feel like they're there, I just, I trust God that God is doing a work in other people's lives. And if there's anyone that's going to be faithful on the earth, let it be me, my life. Let it be me, no matter what comes my way, that God would be able to use me and I would be a faithful one. You know, with Elijah... Elijah was running away. He wasn't facing up to the issues that were before him. And one of the questions that God asked Elijah was, when he comes and he runs away to the cave, you remember God asked him, what are you doing? Where are you, Elijah? And he wasn't asking from the perspective of, I don't know what's happening. He wasn't asking because God lacked knowledge. But he was asking Elijah, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Because it's a good question to ask the person that's running away from their responsibilities, running away from their accountability, running away from the Lord, perhaps. I was just mentioning today, thinking of a person that we've been praying for that seems to be running away quite frequently. And the strange thing is, is that everywhere that person runs, when they finally stop, you know who they find? Themselves. They're always, you're always going to run into yourself when you try to run away from your problems. And the thing about yourself is you take your problems with you. I remember when the kids were growing up, when the boys were working and they would come home and they would tell me about a certain boss or a certain situation. You go, oh, I don't want to work here anymore. I can't stand the so-and-so and it's such and such. And I think I'll go work somewhere else. And I think, well, if that's how you want to solve it, you want to go work somewhere else, you go work somewhere else. But I just want you to know your boss is going to be there too. Like the same person's there, different name, same boss. Because it's not the boss that's really the issue right now. It's what, what is God wanting to teach you in this situation? What is he wanting to work through in your life? And so it's never wise to run away. You will never be able to run away from your problems. And every time you have an ear toward God, you're going to hear this from God. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And may the Lord give us the answer. May we find ourselves in a place of saying, I am here, God, by your will. You put me here. You wanted me here. And I'm going to draw on your strength and your resources to persevere here. And so here Hezekiah now. As we come to Hezekiah, he's not alone. Even though at times his leadership seems so different than all the other kings before him and after him. He was a strong, good, godly king. And yet he comes to a place here in verse 1, it says, where he's facing death, which is going to be true for each one of us at some time in our lives. We will all face death. And only one life will soon be passed. 
And only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Only what's invested in eternity will outlast us. Hezekiah comes to this place, notice it says, back in chapter 20, it says, in those days, in those days. Which days were these? Well, these were the days of victory. These were the days of strength. These were the days of God's faithfulness in his life. In some of the best days of Hezekiah's life, in some of the best days he's ever experienced, he got sick and was close to death. You know, it reminds me that even in times where the Lord's blessing and where you're making progress and great things are happening, godly men and godly women are not immune to sickness and disease. We all face it. Sometimes God will even use that sickness in in our lives for his great glory. Every one of us is going to face death, dying of our last sickness. And I love what happened here with Hezekiah in verse, at the end of verse 1, he was given very good advice. Set your house in order. Set your house in order. These are wise words as we learned last time we were together. You don't, please don't wait until you become very ill, church, to put your house in order. Would you please do it now? Would you please put things into a will? Will you please, if you need to, set up a trust? Will you please get the medical directives and the power of attorneys done now? Please don't wait till it's too late or where you're unable to do it. Do it now. And there was never more of an urgency for me to do this in all my ministry until after what happened with my son. And watching what happened to my son without the right paperwork in order and the kind of division that was created and the difficulties that were there. Listen, I can't tell you strong enough. Just, just Ed Taylor, just me, your friend. Get your house in order in the paperwork realm. Hey, get your house in order in the spiritual realm. Take care of what's necessary in the spiritual realm. Remember when judgment comes, judgment begins where? In the house of the Lord. And so I believe this is an, 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 an encouragement to Hezekiah, a command to Hezekiah to get every facet of his life in order, to be ready, to set things up for after you're gone. Don't just leave it to everyone after you're gone. It's much more difficult that way. Trust me. It's much more difficult if things aren't set up with what you think and what you want now. Set your house in order because none of us really expect to get sick and ill. None of us expect to die. And so what do we do? We put things off. And may the Lord grant us the strength to no longer put off those things that need to be done today. We don't have forever. So let's get things in order spiritually. Let's get things in order relationally. Let's get things in order legally where necessary so that those that are around us can get our full attention and get things in order. Sometimes even some people put off getting their relationship with God. They keep putting it off and putting it off. And God will send yet another pastor into your life like he is right now saying, it's time to get your house in order. What have you done to forgive your sin? What are you currently doing in your life today in preparing yourself to meet your maker? How are you covering and removing the pain and penalty of your sin from your life? Well, you know what? Maybe next week. Maybe next month. 
You know, I'm a person that likes to learn. I'm a person that likes to study. I'm a person that likes more information. So when I think I have the right information, then I'll make a decision. But the Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that this is the time, that it's not necessary that you have a theological understanding of all the different nuances of every single word in the Bible, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. And like some of you are like, what? The Bible, Aramaic, Greek, what is all? Yeah, you don't even need to understand that. Although, now you know, the Bible was written in three languages. Old Testament, Hebrew, and a portion in Aramaic. New Testament was written in Greek. But that doesn't save you. Owning a Bible doesn't save you. It's maybe getting you closer than not having a Bible, but here's what saves. Jesus said, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. And that tells you and me, because even the guy that was asking this question, he was a very smart religious man, a person we would call today a pastor or even a priest. He was a high-level, super smart, dedicated his life to studying the Bible all day, every day for the, his entire life. And yet in his, inside of him, the emptiness of his life caused him to come to Jesus and say, I, I, I know you're a good man, but... I, I, I don't understand. And the answer from Jesus was, look, you got to be born again. And so what was his response? His response was, do I need to climb back into my mother's womb? Because he was only think of it in relationship to the conversation. But Jesus was speaking to his heart and saying, what you're asking, you are not able to perform. What you're asking me about is not within your ability. He was saying to this religious leader, like he's saying to you today, you cannot do anything in your life to take away the pain and the guilt and the penalty of the sin of your life. You can do nothing. It would be like you climbing back into your mother's womb. It's impossible. It's not possible. It, you, you, it is not humanly possible to be born again from your mother as an adult or any other age. And so Jesus was speaking not to a physical birth, but to a spiritual birth. So that the forgiveness of sins only comes from God and not from man, not from church, not from a pastor. But the big barrier between you and God is not that forgiveness is available. That's not really the big barrier. The big barrier between you and God is your unwillingness to admit that you've sinned. Not that you've made mistakes. I met a lot of people that say, oh, I made mistakes, Ed. I'm not a perfect person. I make mistakes all the time. I know it sounds a little bit nicer when you say you make mistakes, doesn't it? Because after all, we all make mistakes. If I put a bumper sticker out uh, that said, we're all making mistakes, it would sell out. Of course, we all make mistakes. But what you call mistakes, the Bible calls sin. And sin is not merely a mistake. It is not merely a moral failure. It is an affront to the holiness and perfection and righteousness of God. So that little lie that you told someone that you go, ha ha, it was just a little lie. Well, maybe that, that friend that you lied to forgave you, but did you ask God for, your, for his forgiveness for that lie? God didn't create you to lie. And you go, well, what do you mean, Ed? Well, think about it this way. Have you ever had a relationship that was broken because someone lied to you? 
they were dishonest to you. Think for a moment how that made you feel. You gave them your trust. You entrusted your life to them. You entrusted your money to them. You entrusted perhaps even in a personal relationship, and yet because of their dishonesty, the friendship, the relationship's broken off. It's a very painful thing, lies. They're not just little lies. They're not just white lies. They're not, it's a painful thing to be lied to. It's a painful thing to have trust broken, and it's a painful thing to have that happen over and over and over again. Now listen, your entire life has been painful to the God who loves you. It pains God. Think of it. It pains God that you refuse to live in relationship with him. It moves him emotionally. So much so that the Bible would tell us this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, and that's a pretty big word, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God brought you to listening to this moment in time in this section of the Bible so you would hear, get your house in order. It's within your reach that God, he loved you so much that he's invited you and me into relationship to forgive you of your sins, to remove the pain and penalty It's more than getting things done legally. And it's more than getting things done relationally. To get your house in order is to no longer tragically delay getting your your life and your, your life in right relationship with God. Because here, I've never met a person, to my recollection, who has accepted Jesus Christ that regretted that decision. They look back, oh, you know, of all the things I've done in life, I really regret being a believer in Jesus Christ. I haven't met the person. I think we've all met folks, though, along the way that have regretted the fact that they waited so long to surrender their lives. I've met a few that were saved much later in life. And we praise God for that. It's never too late. But when you begin to speak with them, they regret that, they're, that they, didn't believe in thing, they didn't believe in Jesus Christ earlier. That it wasn't as a youth or they didn't believe in high school because you can look back and you go, you know, if I was just following the Lord back then, I would have avoided that pain. And if I was just living for Jesus, then I wouldn't have gone into that. I wouldn't have caused so much pain to other people. I wouldn't have been so suicidal. I wouldn't have felt like I was, you know, you you can look back and you go, man, I, I wish I would have got saved earlier. I wish I would have, man, I could have avoided so much. And you know, it's a loaded question, really, when somebody asks you, if you can go back in anything in life, would you change anything? It's really a loaded question because the answer is yes and no. Because the, the way the question goes, well, you know, if you change something in the past, you wouldn't be living today. Well, listen, I would love to change a lot of my past and still end up where I am today. So that's always my answer. So of course I would, I would want to avoid the sin. Of course I want to avoid hurting people. Of course I want to avoid the time that I was, of course. And yet at the same time, I recognize that God used all those things and worked them together for the good. But which one of us, if we choose to look back far enough, have a few regrets that if we were just saved a little bit earlier, things might be different. This is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a message from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. 
Simply go online to hear it again at calvaryaurora.org. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. If you haven't already downloaded the free Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps, simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. This is a great way to take in a steady dose of God's Word. Here in the month of April, we've picked out an excellent book written by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. Remember the old hymn, Just a Closer Walk with Thee? Maybe that's a desire of yours, but you're just not sure how to get there with God. Tozer sheds light on the path to a closer walk with God in the pursuit of God. It can become a reality in your life. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Don't miss our next study in the Word next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.